I'm, we're finishing up this one series, a couple weeks series, about how to, how to go first class in your life and how to take kind of next steps to improvement. And, and choosing faith is uh, a really important decision. We want to talk about that. But I also want to talk about the implications over the next few weeks. So we just thought that would be a great way to get us started in this, uh, this kind of next uh, few weeks I'm going to be teaching about. We're going to give back to God in just a moment. That's, uh, that's just part of what we do as, uh, uh, as attenders here. If you're a guest, don't worry about it. Just pass it on by. Um, also, here's what I need you to do. I need you to turn to somebody next to you and tell them uh, one of three things. Either I ate a little bit of candy, I ate quite a bit of candy, or I don't want to talk about it. Go. Now, funny thing is I had the sense you don't want to talk about it, yet you're talking about it. So you must have done okay with the candy thing. Well, we had a great, we had a great time uh, at the trunk retreat, and thank you for all the, the volunteers, and thousands of people came through. It was really, really fun, so we so appreciate that. Um, so I want to talk about, last week Cody talked about um, choosing wisdom. What is the wise thing to do? I want to talk about choosing to live a life that is filled with faith. Because I believe that faith is the basis for everything else, and not just faith for faith's sake, but faith in the person of Jesus Christ and, and the power that that has to upgrade our lives. And so oftentimes we think that faith is just the beginning point. You, you cannot come uh, to Christ by faith. As a matter of fact, Scripture talks about faith in several different ways. One of them, Jesus often said to people, like with the lepers or the woman who touched his, his robe, says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. Uh, another woman, a, a sinful woman is the way the Bible describes her. Uh, uh, your faith has saved you or forgiven you. It is your faith that has made possible for you to be forgiven. Again and again, our faith. And so faith, yes, it comes by God because we're hearing his word, but it also is a volitional act of our will. We have to choose faith. And so it's not just a matter of one time choosing faith and coming to a relationship with Christ. We need to choose to be faith-filled. And the more we allow ourselves or work toward being faith-filled, uh, the better our life gets because we become more in line with, with Christ and more dependent on his power. I actually found this note. I, I saw it. Uh, I had written it at the beginning of 19, uh, 2019, and it was stuck to my computer monitor. It said, study faith, grow in faith, ask for more faith. That was my goal for this year. I'm not going to tell you how I'm doing, but let's just say I ate too much candy and not enough faith probably. But anyway, um, so uh, this idea of faith, Martha and Mary are an interesting study in faith because we always contrast Martha and Mary. Mary's a good one, Martha's a bad one, but she's not. What Martha is on is a spiritual journey toward faith. And in some ways, she is more informative to our lives than Mary, possibly. And so I want to kind of look at them. We find them uh, first in Luke 10. And in Luke 10, it just says this, um, starting with verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, there's an interesting thing right off the bat. Martha opened her home. It is Martha's home. Now, in that day, women didn't have the same privileges and opportunities as men. How does Martha have her own home? That's an interesting thing. It might be an insight into Martha's personality also, by the way, and kind of her mode of operation. So Martha either inherited her home, possibly, from her parents who were not there because her younger siblings were living with her, or she is a widow. 
It's possible that she's a widow and her home is uh, from her late husband. Either way, she seems to be the one responsible for the other two siblings in the home. And so if you understand her, not in the light of somebody who's obsessive, compulsive, kind of um, cleaning and, and cooking and all this stuff, she actually might be more just super responsible, having had to be so to maintain this home. She's a responsible, substantial woman who uh, understands responsibility, understands what it takes. And so we, we move on then. Uh, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Uh, and, and, uh, and, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had, that had to be made. So remember, she's kind of the responsible one here, it seems. Uh, this is just the way it looks to me. And, uh, and she's got this visiting rabbi, the most important person she'll ever entertain in her home. And she feels the responsibility to make this good, right? All the neighbors are watching. Everybody knows this guy's an important guy. I want to make sure he has a good... And by the way, a woman sitting at Jesus' feet, like as a, as a mentee or a disciple of a rabbi, was unheard of. And so it may actually have been, in terms of uh, cultural, that Mary was one who was out of line. Uh, uh, and yet, um, this happens. So she was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Sibling rivalry. It, it never ends. She goes on. Martha, Martha, Martha. If you don't get that joke, ask an old person, they'll get it. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Now, just notice right off the bat, he is not saying that she's a bad person, that she doesn't have, he's saying that the problem is she is worried and upset about many things. He's saying, this is the problem. Your mindset is the problem. And then he goes on and he says this. And all the things she's got to do, all the things she's got to take care of, all this responsibility. And he says, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Now, what is the one he's referring to? It's being with him. That is the one that matters. Mary has chosen what is better. Here is about making decisions. Here is about going first class, upgrading your life, choosing what is better. And the first what is better is being with Jesus. It's having a relationship with Jesus. That is the what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, what's interesting when we say these sisters, if you were to look at Martha, you might be tempted to think, and I think it's probably true, that she was maybe a fairly task-oriented person, right? She kind of lived by her to-do lists. And there are people in this room like that. Some of you already started making yours right now while I'm talking. And um, I happen to be married to one of these people. And, uh, and, and this particular uh, one I've been married to for a really long time, from the time we got married until now, she will not resist the temptation to start vacuuming at 10 o'clock at night. I go to bed at 9.30 at night. I'm asleep at 8, but I go to bed at 9.30 at night. And she feels the need to start vacuuming. Honest to goodness, this week, a couple nights ago, we're in bed. It's like late. It's like really, really late, like 10.45. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I'm asleep. She jumps out about and, and exclaims, oh my goodness, I don't know what shirt I'm wearing tomorrow. <laughs> That's what tomorrow is for, figuring out what shirt you're wearing tomorrow. Oh no, I got I to lay it out. She goes to laser clothes and hangs them up on a thing. And I'm thinking, dude, if by the time I get in my car to leave for work, I know what shirt I'm wearing, I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> but she's just kind of that way. By the way, we love task-oriented people because without them, nothing would get done right? But sometimes they miss the point, right? Sometimes their commitment to their to-do list kind of 
misses the point. And I think Martha may have been, because of all the responsibilities she's had, and who knows how long she's had them, but because of this, she kind of missed the point. And that's what Jesus is, is kind of trying to help her understand. That her priorities were messed up. She was worried about all these things and all this stuff. And really, there was only one thing. Here, and, 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 and here's kind of the problem. The problem is that the one thing she missed was not on her to-do list because rarely do relationships make it to our to-do list. I used to do weddings. Oftentimes during the ceremony, when I would uh, do the ring ceremony and the, and the bride would hand the groom the ring and he would, and, and put it on his finger, and I'd say, now this is and it's symbolic of a whole bunch of stuff. And one of them is that you never get to check her off your to-do list. You will always, always be responsible to pay attention, to love her, to care for her, put her above all the other things you got to do. This is always going to be there. You don't ever get to check this one off, this relational one. You don't get to check relational stuff off your, your to-do list. The problem is oftentimes relational opportunities. So here, here's the real problem with Martha. Martha is more worried about her to-do list than spending time with the Savior of the world. Bad call, right? We would never do that, right? Her problem was she had the wrong priorities. Her problem was that getting the thing done, she was efficient. She just wasn't effective, <laughs> Mary understood the more important value of spending time with you. The problem is, and, and make your application over the weeks to come, think about this. The problem is that relational opportunities sometimes seem like a waste of time. She was saying, oh, she's such a waste of time and they're just talking. And yet, in the eternal value system, it was the other way around. I, and I read this story a number of years ago. I can't remember if it was true or if it was apocryphal. Either way, it's a powerful story. The story is uh, a young man, a young adult, dad died. And they were talking about his dad. And he remembered the greatest day he and his dad ever had. Because his dad was kind of a workaholic. And, and his dad had taken a whole day off to take him fishing. And he just thought that was the greatest. And he later found his dad daytimer. You know what a daytimer is? Like calendar kind of thing. Back in the day, they used to use them. And he looked up that date because it was the greatest day of he and his dad's life. And on it, his dad had written... Wasted day, got nothing done. Now, here's the deal. If we're not careful, we can get the to-do list, the task-oriented stuff, the busyness. We can get the house decker, we can get the turkey cooked, we can get the whole thing happening. But if we miss the relational opportunities presented to us, we blew it, right? So what Jesus is trying to teach Martha, now here's the deal. He didn't just write Martha off. What we find in the, in the, in the, the accounts I'm going I'm to show you is that he was beginning a, a journey toward faith with Martha. She didn't understand the, the, the importance of spending time with Jesus. But in the process of his knowing her, he, as he does with all of us, he took her from where she was and began to move her in faith, in this faith journey. One of the things that I would hope that we'd be able to realize is that maybe this holiday season, starting even now, that if we can choose as the most important thing is the growing of our faith, which includes spending time with Jesus, maybe he will take us away from the busyness and the task orientation and all this stuff and move us toward being more faith-filled. But we're going to have to be intentional about it. So the first intentionality about it is to know Jesus, is to know Jesus. So uh, one of the ways scripture uses the word faith is that by faith. I mentioned it earlier, by faith you're healed, by faith you're forgiven, whatever. Is we come to Jesus by faith. It is by faith. You don't earn your way there. Uh, you don't, you know, get brownie points enough for God, you cash them in for a relationship, okay? You come by faith to this relationship. That's what Mary was doing. That's what he's trying to teach 
Martha. But there's also another way that scripture uses the word faith, and it's the faith, uh, being uh, in the faith. The faith kind of refers to a body of beliefs. Jesus was God incarnate, uh, was born of a virgin. He uh, died to to redeem all of us. He ascended into heaven. A, A body of beliefs, the faith. And so part of what happens is when we come by faith to a relationship, then we need to understand the faith. And so what happens in this next illustration is that um, their brother Lazarus, Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus, has died. Jesus is far away, and he doesn't even come anyway. He spends a couple of days before he comes. And so now it's gone on quite a while, and Jesus arrives, and Martha runs out to meet him, and it's found in John 11. And in John 11, starting with verse 21, it says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, this is interesting because we don't know exactly how to read this. Like, is she just stating a fact? Is she a little tweaked? Knowing Martha, she's probably a little bit tweaked about this. Like, and, but then she says something in the next sentence that's very interesting. So I don't think she really believes what she's about to say. Or, so have you ever met a Christian who their whole Christianity was up here? They'd never seem to make it down here, much less out here, right? So there are lots of people who believe Christianity is just believing the faith, the right, believing the right things, having the right mental, intellectual assent to certain propositions that would be the faith. And so what's happening is in her spiritual journey, it still hasn't gotten to her heart or her experience, it's, but it is going from the kitchen now to her head. And so what happens in this next section, this is just the way I read it, it looks like she's got a head belief, a head knowledge, an intellectual, which is important. We're not non-intellectual, we're logical people. That's an important part of our faith, and yet it's not all there is to faith. And so I think this next sentence is a part of that head knowledge, but she doesn't really expect it to be anything or to do anything or have any application. So she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I know, I know, right? I know, intellectually, I know that God will give you whatever. But she doesn't have any expectations of it. She's just stating it as a part of her having the faith that Jesus, by the way, in her understanding of Jesus, she may have been ahead of the disciples at this point because she articulated who he was better than they were up to that point, it seems. And so she was understanding it, but it wasn't making much of a difference in her life yet. So, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She answers again from this headspace thing. Uh, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Now, here's what's happening in this deal, if you don't know this. There are two sets of Jews. Some Jews believe there will be a resurrection of the dead someday. Others believe that when you die, you die, okay? And she was aligning with the people who believe there will be a resurrection because obviously Jesus taught that. And so she was doing an intellectual, yes, my brother will rise one day because I believe in this set of beliefs. The faith, right, exists here. And then Jesus comes back at her again and says, um, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives uh, by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus is trying to lead her somewhere. He is trying to lead her somewhere beyond just here. It's great that she's moved from the kitchen to a belief, an intellectual belief in who Jesus is. But Jesus is now trying to move it from here to here. To, from an intellectual to an understanding, an experiential faith, okay? Our faith has to be logical. It has to be rational, but it also has to be experiential. And so now he is going to move her through something. It's going to move it from a head knowledge to a, a, a relational knowledge, experiential knowledge, right? Have you ever heard of somebody say, I, I know it in my knower? Have you ever heard that? It's kind of a hillbilly term, I think, maybe. It has to do with, you can say you know a place, like, like um, 
I can say, do you know Paris? Well, if you've never been to Paris, you, you know Paris because you've read about it, but you don't know it. But if you lived in Paris, you know it. You know, you know what's around the Eiffel Tower. You know where to go for a picnic. You know, whatever it is, you know experientially something. So he's trying to move her from, yes, you're the Messiah, to, oh, I know. I know. And so here's what happens next. Um, on the resurrection of life, then he says, um, uh, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Now, how does he move her here? So this is kind of my take on this. I think that the way he moves her from this point of where she's at with an intellectual belief to the point of action that he's trying to move her toward is she learns something about God, his character, and his attitude toward us. One of the most powerful things about just spending time with Jesus is knowing Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know not only his character, as understood from the word, you understand his intention toward us, God's intention toward us. So a lot of times I have uh, people say to me, oh, if there's a God and you believe in this good God, how did he let this happen? And oftentimes it's some struggle they've had personally. It's some, they were abused or they've lost someone they love. And what's always interesting is I don't have an answer for them. I don't, I, I don't know why. But here's what I do know. I know how God feels about that. I know how God feels about that pain in your life. I can't explain why it happened. We live in a fallen world. That's probably the why. What I really can't explain is why God didn't intervene. And yet I know how God feels. You say, well, how can you know? Watch this. In this, this section, in this next section, it starts about verse 33, I think. We see how God feels about us by the way Jesus feels about Lazarus, his, his uh, friend who has died. Um, and when we know how he feels about us, a lot of the doubts and a lot of the questions begin to become less important as we begin to know his character and his attitude and intention toward us. So here are three things. In this, it gives us three emotions or reactions that Jesus felt. It says this, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, they replied. And here's my favorite uh, Bible verse to memorize when I was a kid, verse 35. <laughs> and Jesus wept. See, I still remember it. Didn't even have to read it. Uh, now, what's interesting, when you read this, it tells us how Jesus feels about his friend and he calls us friends. It is not a stretch to believe that this is how he feels about us when we are going through a difficult situation. It's an interesting thing here. You might not understand these words until you research them. Uh, the first one says he was deeply moved in spirit. He was deeply moved. If, this is just a weird word. But if you were to translate this word absolutely, like just literally, it means he snorted like a horse. It was a colloquialism that meant he was angry. Now, why would Jesus be angry? Think about this. Here is the one who created all the earth and he created us. And he had an intention for us to live this incredible life in relationship with our creator and with each other. And because of sin and because of our choices, now the wages of sin are death. Death has entered in the world. And what he's looking at is the very consequences of sin entering the world. And he's ticked about it because he doesn't want to see his friends hurting this bad. What does God feel when he, when he sees pain and suffering? Angry because it didn't have to be like that. He is angry evil. He is angry at the evil one who causes it. 
It makes him mad that his friends are suffering. Does that sound weird to you? I've experienced this. I've seen someone lose someone, and I watch my mom. My dad is gone now, and she's struggling with the loss of someone she's been married to since she was literally a teenager. It makes me mad because death wasn't part of the plan. Death is the consequence of evil entering the world. And it kind of makes me mad that she has to go through. I know someday she'll be again with him in heaven, and, but right now it kind of makes me mad. And then it goes on and it says, not only was he deeply moved, but he was troubled. This means he was agitated. He was bothered by, he is not okay that we're not okay with something. It is not how we were created to live. As a matter of fact, there's this unresolved dissonance just begging for a resolution. And he wants to bring that. As a matter of fact, he came to bring that resolution. And so he's troubled by, he's, he's not comfortable with the pain they're in because that's not how they were created to be those human beings, us human beings. And then it says he wept. He just burst into tears. It was just all so much. People often try to explain how they reject God or even the concept of God. It's almost always based on their perception of his absence in some difficult time or some bad thing that people called themselves his people did. But if you're standing there and your brother has died and you see your savior of the world weeping and overwrought with emotion, it tells you something. It tells you something about this God who created us and how he feels about us. And so in that moment, she, she comes to not just know Jesus, but now this is involved. She knows he's the Messiah, but he's a caring, loving, that's why he came kind of Messiah. So then there's this weird thing that happens. So now it kind of seems to have moved here and then here. And, and now Jesus is going to ask it to go one more step. He always leads us one more step. He's always got a next step for us. And with Martha, he got her out of the kitchen. He, he got her to faith, the faith. And now she has an experiential faith. She has seen and understood Jesus. And now he's going to ask her to do something by faith, in faith. He's going to ask her to do something. And it's found in John 11, 38 to 41. And it's kind of an interesting thing. It says this. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha. Now, here's Martha. Remember, responsible Martha. Always think about the implications. Always, here's what Martha says, which is kind of typical of Martha. Um, the sister of the dead man said, by this time, there's a bad odor. <laughs> I think the King James says, if I remember right, by now he stinketh. I think, if I remember right. For he's been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? See, when we come to faith, to believe in Jesus, and we come to understand the faith, who he really is, it's here, it's here. He's going to ask us to come here at some point. He's going to say, now do some action, take some action. What does he ask her to do? Roll back the stone. Now think about this. Everybody's gathered around. There are mourners that have come out from Jerusalem, we read in the passage. There are people, there are tons of people around. And, and this is a fairly uncomfortable thing. Roll the stone back. Roll, what? Do what? It is. Uh, that's just weird, isn't it? And what if, and here's Martha, always think about the implications. And what if it does stink? This is, I want to see my dead brother and smell it. I don't want these people to, I don't even want Jesus to be embarrassed. I, 
But he says, if you believe, you know, do what I ask. When I read this, I, I always think of a place we do the, the final uh, uh, night of our, our Israel trips. We have communion together. I think we even have a picture of it. And it, it's a tomb. It's from the first century. And what's weird about it, it's not a, a tourist place at all. It, it, and you see that big round stone there to the left? You see that? That's an open tomb. And, uh, and what's interesting about this, it's in a park. Most people don't even know it's there. It's, it's been, the archaeological dig has been done, so we know it's a first century tomb. It's not Jesus' tomb, it's just a tomb. But it's in a park. Nobody's ever there. And so we have the whole park to ourselves, and there is this first century tomb, and we do, because nobody knows where Jesus really was buried, we do communion. And so when I read this story, I think about this, because it's intended to remind us of another tomb that the stone rolled back on, right? And so I think about this, and, and this is the picture that comes to my mind. And when I, when I think about this, I think about, I think about how much courage did it take for that woman to roll that stone back? More importantly, how much faith? You now know that I love you. I care deeply for you. You now know I'm the Messiah. Will you trust me on this one? Would you have rolled that stone back? You see, I believe that when we come to faith, God, because he wants us to take next steps, just like Martha, he said, Martha, you're going to roll the stone back? It was her call. She was the one in charge. You're going to roll the stone back? Do you have the faith to do that? I believe that as he led Martha on a spiritual journey, he will lead us as well. And there will come moments on our spiritual journey where he says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? To have faith is to simply trust him. That's what it means to have faith. Do you trust me? So as I was preparing this, I had a, I had a thought, and, and I have to be honest, I don't know. I don't know um, who it's for or what it's about. But I had this thought come to me that I needed to tell you that this holiday season, some of you are going to be asked to roll a stone back on something in your life. Maybe it's something that you long ago gave up on. Maybe it was a dream, a hope that you just buried. And God says, oh, no, it's not dead, not permanently. For some of you, maybe it's some bitterness and anger or hurt from your past that you've just buried and never really dealt with. And he's going to say, roll that stone back because it might stink a little bit, but we're going to bring healing and we're going to bring hope. Maybe this holiday season, God is going to ask you, do you trust him enough to write a letter or make a phone call to somebody you have had some separation from? And maybe for good reason and maybe for a long time. Would you trust him enough to bring restoration? I don't know who this is for. I don't know what it's about, but I just felt like I'm supposed to say, will you have enough faith? Will you immerse yourself in his word and time spent with him enough so that you are filled with faith to the point when he says, roll the stone back, even though it's uncomfortable and it might be awkward and it might be a really smelly situation, you have the courage, you have the faith to roll that thing back and let God do a miracle this holiday season. See, because I think the holidays are a special time. It's not because we give gifts. It's not because of the lights. It's because there is a sense of expectation. Unfortunately, we usually expect whatever it is we're hoping for from the wrong source. But that expectation in and of itself, if it is turned to God and it is filled with faith, I believe it is a wonderful opportunity for God to do something in our lives. Maybe you're here today and it means absolutely nothing to you. Okay. Maybe right now your heart is racing. And you know exactly what it is. I, like I said, I don't know. 
but maybe for you, you need to roll a stone back. And he's just waiting to see your faith has moved from here to here to here. And then he's going to do a miracle in your life. I believe in miracles. I believe in restored marriages. I believe in children who've been estranged from their parents turning around, repenting of their life and coming back to God and to their parents. I believe in that because I have seen that. I've seen people find healing and be able to love in a way they've never loved before because they let God heal whatever happened to them in the past. I've seen that. I believe in that. But you know what it requires? Faith. Enough faith that it moves from here to here to here. What might God ask you to do? Ask me to do? What miracle might he have in store for us? We'll only find out by faith. So I invite you in to this next series. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I, I believe this season needs to be infused with faith. So for the next three weeks, I'm going to give you my best tips on moving past just a happy holiday to an engaged, eternally important spiritual experience. So for the next three weeks, I'm going to be sharing those with you. And I think this could be the best time of year if we'll, do, if we'll approach it in faith. Lord God, we love you. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who needs to roll a stone back on what. I don't know. And maybe I missed it. Maybe it's not what you want me to say, but I think it is. And so, Lord God, if there's someone here today who knows exactly what it is for them, whatever that thing is, that next step they need to take that is symbolized by rolling a stone back, Lord God, I pray that they would have the courage and they would ask for and exercise the faith they need to step into that thing so that you can bless them, you can bring a miracle in their lives. Lord God, for all of us, let this season be the most incredible holiday season ever. I pray that every year, Lord, and usually it exceeds the year before. And so in faith, we come to you relationally, expectantly, asking you to work in us and through us as we live in faith. Lord, we love you. We thank you in advance for what's going to happen. And now lead us through those next steps. Grow us just like you grew, Martha. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.